0: Hello and welcome, I'm Sophia Ruan-Goucher, author of the book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and now host of the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast, where I sit down with everyone from beekeepers to teachers, chefs to doctors, and all of the mothers, fathers, and children in between. Collectively, we'll learn tips and tricks for practical non-toxic living. I look forward to sharing my humbling and never-ending journey with all of you. I was introduced to fermented foods by a friend who, after a lifetime of being allergic to certain foods like apples, found herself no longer allergic to them. She believed that eating fermented foods helped her overcome her allergies. Fascinated by her story, I wanted to learn more, so she introduced me to a book that she adored, a beautiful book that's titled The Art of Fermentation. Even though this inspired me to start fermenting foods, it took me years to try because I was afraid. I was afraid of the bacteria, afraid of feeding my family and I toxic mold, and afraid of what I did not know about making fermented foods. Recently, I was able to talk to the author of that book, The Art of Fermentation, Sandor Katz. Sandor is considered a guru of the contemporary American food movement, Michael Pollan has called him the Johnny Appleseed of fermentation as he has been instrumental in revitalizing fermented foods and reminding us of how helpful they are to human health and that they have been a part of our diets for centuries and across many cultures. Sandor's first book, Wild Fermentation, has been described as the Bible of fermentation and Sandor recently released a revised edition. Sandor is the recipient of a James Beard Award and many other honors. Both his books, Wild Fermentation and The Art of Fermentation, have been New York Times bestsellers. In fact, the New York Times calls Sandor one of the unlikely rock stars of the American food scene. I was honored to speak with Sandor via Skype. I spoke to him from my apartment in New York City while he chatted with me from his kitchen in rural Tennessee. I've learned that fermented foods is an excellent way to nurture the healthy bacteria in my gut, which can help a long list of health issues. Please take a listen.
1: Okay, here, there you got a... Hello.
0: Hi, it's such an honor to meet you. I'm so excited.
1: (laughs) It's a pleasure to meet you too.
0: To to start with, for those who are not familiar with your background, can you just explain more about where you grew up, uh, where you're from, and how you got into fermented foods?
1: Um, Sure. So... um... Well, I mean, my, my name is Sandor Katz, and I have uh, uh, written a couple of books about fermented foods, and I do a lot of uh, 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 teaching about fermentation to demystify uh, uh, home fermentation. And uh, I was born and raised in New York City, where um, you know my family enjoyed lots of different products of fermentation, and you know the specific. Um, uh, f- product of fermentation that like captured my palate, um, was, you know, simply, um, um, you know, pickled cucumbers, uh, uh, in New York, we call them sour pickles. Um, but they're, um, uh, you know, fermented cucumbers as opposed to cucumbers with hot vinegar poured over them. And that flavor really imprinted on me. And I've always loved that flavor. Um, but, uh, in, uh, in 1993, I moved from New York City, where I had lived, um, almost all of my life until then, to, uh, rural Tennessee. And um, uh, I lived in a community here for, for many years. And, um, you know, a lot of my work for the community involved um, gardening, producing vegetables, and also uh, cooking, feeding people. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of in the, you know, kind of confluence of those two areas and, you know, informed by my love of pickles, um, you know, I started learning about fermentation. I learned how to make pickles and I learned how to make uh, sour kraut, and I also learned how to make yogurt, Uh, and I even learned how to make miso, and I learned how to work with a sourdough, and I learned how to um, um, uh, make, uh, you know, simple fruit flavored wines, and uh, I, I just kind of got obsessed with all things fermented. And, you know, one aspect of it was just sort of the, you know, practical aspects of, you know, making use of various food resources that were fleetingly abundant and figuring out ways ways to sort of, uh, you know, preserve those using fermentation to, you know, sort of feed us, uh, you know, at, at, at later dates when there might be a scarcity of food, um, because food always comes in, you know, in in, in cycles. and in in seasons. Um, And then another aspect of it that made me very interested in exploring fermentation is that, you know, I was living with um, um, HIV and just interested in exploring, um, you know, nutrition and, um, you know, foods that, you know, could help Keep me healthy, um, you know. And certainly, um, you know, this idea of our immune system is largely the work of bacteria in our intestines. And um, you know, it turns out that you know sauerkraut and uh, many other um, you know uh, 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 fermented foods uh, that aren't heated or cooked after their fermentation so that their, you know, sort of live bacterial cultures are intact, you know, turn out to be very good for, you know, stimulating improved immune function as well as improved digestion. Um, and there's lots of new evidence suggesting that these foods can, can, can even potentially help our mental health. Um, you know, as well as almost every other system um, in our bodies. So, you know, I've, I've become much more cautious about the way I talk about these things. I mean, certainly I don't want anyone to think, uh, you know, that introducing a specific food is going to cure specific diseases. Um, but, you know, I think that, uh, you know, almost all of us could benefit, you know, whether we're living with chronic diseases, whether we're, you know, sort of facing a huge life-threatening um, uh, health crisis, uh, you know, whether we're just feeling the effects of aging, you know, whether we feel like we're the most uh, fit specimen walking around, <laughs> yeah. you know, no matter what the status of your health. I mean, foods they can improve digestion and nutrient assimilation, can improve overall immune function, and, you know, maybe can improve mental health, I mean, that's a huge benefit for, for anybody, you know, whether or not they cure particular diseases.
0: Yes, it's fascinating. Science just seems to, as science studies the microbiome and the link between gut health and a long list of either chronic conditions or diseases, we're realizing how little we know about these microorganisms Mm. that you have opened so many of us up to. Um, You personally, though, did you know, what health changes did you notice once you started eating more fermented foods?
1: well I mean the thing is I always have eaten a lot of these foods so okay. like really I mean I okay. wouldn't say that I ever noticed I mean the most dramatic things I notice are when I don't eat them like okay. you know sometimes I'll be traveling somewhere and I'll just be in some situation where you know I don't have any access to the kinds of you know live culture foods that that I typically eat and, that, that I typically eat and um you know the first thing I notice is just my digestion slows down okay. you know my my you know kind of extremely regular Digestive process, you know, just just sort of slows down when I suddenly don't have, you know, access to these, you know, kinds of, uh, you know, probiotic bacteria rich foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's the most specific thing, um, um, you know, that, 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 that I notice. Uh, you know, right. another observation is, you know, I, I've been on HIV meds since 1999, and a lot of the people who I've met who are on similar kinds of meds, um, you know, have just dealt with, you know, chronic digestive challenges uh, as a side effect of the drugs. Um, you know, and I would say that I have never experienced that at all. And so, you know, I, I mean, I think this is why, you know, even though, you know, these foods, you know, it, it, it's not reasonable to expect them to, you know, cure cancer, cure diabetes, cure HIV, you know, they're not that specific, um, you know, but they can re- make a real difference uh, 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 in your life, you know, whether it's with, you know, sort of symptoms you're experiencing on your own or symptoms you're experiencing maybe as a side effect of of, of a medication.
0: Right. Right. <clears throat> Well, a friend of mine asked me if I could ask you a question. Uh, He writes
1: Anything you want.
0: (laughs) He writes The art of fermentation talks a bit about the potential health benefits of eating fermented foods. Can Sandor talk about his own observations about health benefits, which we just talked about, even if anecdotal? Does he attribute any particular health benefits based on his own experiences? I experienced reduced appetite and better digestion from eating these foods. Does he hear that often? Does he get any particular feedback from people who have autoimmune diseases?
1: Um, sure. I mean, I, I hear a lot of, um, you know, stories from people that really sort of confirm the, you know, my, my general idea and the general idea that is really, you know, sort of promoted by the, you know, scientific investigators, um, you know, that, that these foods can, you know, improve digestion. I would say that's the thing I hear most consistently is you know from people who you know had been living with chronic digestive problems and and really a range of chronic digestive problems. I mean, I've heard this from, you know, people who'd been living for years with acid reflux, with chronic constipation, uh, with irritable bowel syndrome, you know, lots of different kinds of um, um, uh, 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 problems, Um, you know, feeling like their digestion is dramatically improved by incorporating, you know, live culture foods like these into the diet. Um, and 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 in terms of nutrition, I mean, absolutely. I've, uh, in terms of I- immunity immune function. I mean, I've heard from, you know, all kinds of people, you know, people with autoimmune issues, people with, you know, suppressed uh, uh, immune functions, um, you know, people without a diagnosis, but who just felt like, you know, they were, um, you know, very susceptible to easily getting sick, which was their sign that their immune system was not, you know, functioning in an optimal way. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a lot of verification by, by science, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the you know, the most specific study that I found that focused on traditional fermented foods rather than probiotic supplements, you know, actually came to the conclusion that, you know, um, um, you know, a diet rich in diverse fermented foods, which each have their, you know, sort of own unique microbial community, you know, actually stimulates immune function much better than any single fermented foods. So there's a certain, you, you know, when, 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 you know, the, the objective of probiotic therapy in terms of immune function definitely would be di- um, biodiversity yeah. and eating more different kinds of foods, you know, really enhances biodiversity more than any singular fermented food. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that would be my main message to people is, you know, rather than just getting comfortable with a single fermented food, um, you know, if you seek out different kinds of fermented foods so that, you know, sometimes you have, uh, you know, sauerkraut out of cabbage and sometimes you're eating, a, you know, a, like a kraut that might be made out of turnips or radishes or a different mixture of vegetables and sometimes you're having kefir and sometimes you're having yogurt and sometimes you're having kombucha and sometimes you you're having water kefir, but, you know, the more different kinds of fermented foods, you know, with unique microbial communities um, um, you're incorporating into your diet, the more you're doing to, uh, you know, help to, um, you know, restore biodiversity and sort of, you know, stimulate the, the you know, kinds of benefits that you, you know, can derive specifically from biodiversity, which mostly are, um, you know, benefits to our immune system.
0: Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the more the better. The, the more you can incorporate it in it for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Well,
1: I mean, the one caveat I would say to that is that you know the, the, these foods are foods with strong flavors. Um, uh, and in some cases they're, they're very salty or, or in the case of some of the ver- beverages, sweet. So I don't really necessarily always think more is better. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I, I think that, you know, frequent small um, um portions you know probably does us more good mm-hmm. than you know sort of trying to eat big portions so mm-hmm. i think it, i think moderation is a is an important value to hold and mm-hmm. you know just because something is good does not imply necessarily that more of it is better mm-hmm. and i think in the case of these you know powerful fermented foods you know really uh, mostly they're used as uh you know as condiments and you know things that people enjoy small portions of and they have very strong flavors and in some cases they can can be very salty. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, one of the benefits of making it yourself is that you can, um, you know, you can make it less salty or more salty as as you like.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great to hear. Do you have a preference for what kind of salt is used when you make your own? Well.
1: Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, personally, I like to use, um, you know, unrefined salts with a little bit of color. I have, you know, pink ones, I have gray ones, uh, you know, I have have lots of different salts, I definitely don't have a specific brand loyalty. Um, You know, that said, uh, you know, for a set of very bizarre reasons, unrefined salt that takes much less work than refined salt costs, you know, 10 to 100 times more than refined salt. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, don't let not having a specific kind of salt be your excuse for not fermenting vegetables i mean really the the lactic acid bacteria are extremely salt tolerant and whatever kind of salt you have in your kitchen is 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 going to work out fine so you know don't don't feel like you need to purchase uh, some specific kind of salt i have i have done you know fermentation demonstrations with every kind of salt my organizers have handed me including you know iodized table salt with oh, you know, really? chemicals that added- And I promise you, none of that inhibits the fermentation in the least. Really? Okay. Because my first, it
0: took years uh, for me to try fermenting foods. And my first attempt, I used salt with iodine in it because I had also just remembered that that... um, Having iodine helps your body helps protect your body from perk, which is found in dry cleaning, uh, ingredient, uh, dry cleaning solvents, and it's just everywhere. And so I thought, oh, I'll kill two birds with one stone. And then when I was after I went through an afternoon of cleaning and chopping, and and then and sort of not canning but putting the vegetables in a jar with i with iodized salt. I then read online that you shouldn't use iodine salt it inhibits well,
1: the know, bacteria you, put, you know theoretically don't have at a high enough concentrate concentration absolutely iodine is used at, at an, as an antimicrobial but it's used in such a small proportion of salt and then you're using such a small proportion of salt in your ferment that you know I have never seen it have an inhibiting effect okay. and um you know, I, I mean, sure. I think it's preferable to not work with iodized table salt, but you know, like don't I mean, don't freak out and think that there's one particular kind okay. of salt you need with fermentation. Historically, people have worked with whatever salt was available to them, and really, all natural sea salt has iodine in it. Okay. Um, you know, small small traces, which is sort of how the idea came about of returning iodine to refined salt. Okay. Um,
0: Great. Well, nowadays, there's so many kinds of salt. So when you mean there's like kosher salt, Himalayan uh, pink salt, Uh, when you talk about unrefined. And they all
1: work. They they all work. They all work. Okay. When I talk about unrefined salt, it generally means salt that has a little bit of color. And that, you know, there's pink salts, there's black salts, there's gray salts, but the color is indicative of a broader mineral um, um, content. And, um, you know, because one of the nutritional powers of fermentation is liberating nutrients and, you know, um, pre-digesting food, making nutrients more easily available, if you use salt that has a broad array of trace minerals – this is a food where your, your body will really be able to access those minerals. They're not going to be tied up in chemical bonds. Um, the fermentation breaks down any bonds that are, that are tying up the, 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 the salt and really makes them um, um, you know, highly bioavailable to us. Okay,
0: great. And with water, I, I know that I've heard you, I don't know if it was the vid, a video I saw of you or something I read, but you, my personal experience also, and I think I read that you had said this, usually there's enough fluid, liquid from the vegetable after you've been massaging it that you don't need to add additional water. But if you do, should it be, is any kind of water okay or should it be filtered or boiled water? because some...
1: Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I mean, definitely if you're living in, you know, on a municipal water system, mm-hmm. um, you know, where we, we add cl- chlorine to our, um, you know, municipal water systems precisely to kill bacteria that might be in the water. So we don't want to add that chlorinated water, you know, right into our ferments where that chlorine might kill the bacteria in our ferments, depending on how concentrated it is. Um, so, I mean, so as you say, I mean, d- you know, Generally, for fermenting vegetables, the way I would uh, encourage most people to start is the sauerkraut method, the dry salting method, and all that means is that you don't add water. Like you, you shred the vegetables to create surface water to create surface area. You lightly salt the vegetables. There's no magic number of salt, just lightly add the vegetables um, to the, you know, light enough that you imagine that you'll have to add more. You okay. toss the, the vegetables around. Um, I like to get in there with my hands and squeeze a little bit and the squeezing, you know, kind of um, bruises the vegetables, breaks down cell walls, helps release juice. After five minutes of squeezing, the veggies are nice and juicy. When you pick them up and squeeze them, it's like a wet sponge and, water comes out um and then i pack them into the jar and there's no need to add water um if you're working with very old vegetables that might have sat in refrigeration which is dry and had some of the water evaporate out that's one case where you might need to add some some water um you know if you uh if you're uh, if you have like carpal tunnel syndrome or um, or arthritis and it makes it burdensome to go like this, then you might want to add a little bit of water or some other kind of liquid like you know wine or beer or vegetable juice oh, or wow. fruit juice. Um, so you could add, you could add other kinds of liquids, but you you could also add water uh, uh, in this case. Or if you want to leave vegetables whole or in big chunks um, and ferment them that way, you know, then it becomes impossible to pull the juice out of the vegetables. And then you have to add a little bit of water. And typically what I would do is, is mix it with salt and make a, make a brine solution and pour the brine solution over the vegetables. But if you, you know, if you decide to add water, then you want to work with some dechlorinated form of water. And that, that could mean running it through an inline filter. That could mean, you know, leaving it out in an open vessel with a broad surface over night so the chlorine evaporates, um, or if you want to do that more quickly, just you know boiling it for 10 minutes and then cooling it down um, should remove most of the most of the chlorine. But you definitely want to be aware of that in any kind of a you know fermentation process, um, you know, if you use chlorinated water straight out of the tap, um, you know, you might find that the fermentation does not proceed as expected. And the reason might be that the chlorine level in the water Um, um, you know, was was too high and killed the bacteria.
0: Okay, great. So I heard a lot of really great tips because I, I, I fermented carrots, thinking my children would like this. Beautiful. And um, because the carrots are so hard. I thought I should add more salt to soften it, and now the carrots are just really salty. <laughs> but you're yeah. saying you do just a little bit and, and keep checking it and yeah, you can Salt, add- salt, salt,
1: salt, salt doesn't, doesn't make vegetables softer. In fact, the opposite, salt makes vegetables a little bit crispier, harder. It hardens the pectins. The way I would typically do carrots, I mean, there's, there's no single way of doing anything. Uh, uh, in here. So if you taste that and it tastes too salty for you, what I would do is just add more water to it to dilute okay. the salt. Okay. Um, another approach to carrots is if you grate them, then it's easy with any root vegetable to pull the juice out of the, out of the vegetable. Um, just grate them lightly salted. I think ginger is a seasoning that goes really nice with carrots. So I, I often make like a a carrot ginger um, ferment. But you know you can add whatever kind of seasoning you like really.
0: Okay, and do you add herbs too?
1: Sometimes, sure.
0: Sometimes, yeah. Sure.
1: I mean, you can add any, any kinds of seasonings. Um, I mean, more often I use dried uh, um, dried herbs. Like I use caraway seeds a lot. I use dill. Um, I use you know garlic, ginger, chili peppers. Um, but I mean, people use all kinds of other things. I mean, sometimes people use juniper berries. Sometimes, um, um, people will use like turmeric or curry spices. I mean, you can be really experimental and, um, you know, I mean, a a young woman showed up at one of my workshops a couple of years ago with vanilla sauerkraut where she had minced up a vanilla bean and mixed it in with the cabbage. I mean, you can you can season it with anything you like. You can introduce a little bit of fruit. A lot of the Russian recipes call for cranberries and or apples. Um Um, you know, there's just, there's, you know, you can incorporate fish or fish sauce the way a lot of the Korean recipes do. Mm. Um, but there's really, uh, you know, I, I mean, our creativity is the only limiting factor. Let me talk for a minute about safety because, um, you know, a lot of people get, um, a, a lot of people, you know, who have the idea that they're interested in exploring this get a little bit caught up on, you know, just in their mind about like, okay, well, I've been hearing all of my life about how dangerous bacteria are, right. you know, how, how can I be sure that I have good good, you know, probiotic um, um, beneficial bacteria, um, you know, in growing in this jar of, you know, cabbage or carrots that's fermenting. And, you know, how can I be sure that I'm not going to get, you know, botulism, salmonella, you know, and a handful of other, you know, scary bacteria that people worry about uh, are growing. And all I can tell you is that, um, you know, sauerkraut is among the safest foods that we know. And according to the United States Department of Agriculture, there has never been one single documented case of food poisoning or illness from fermented vegetables. So, you know, if by some strange twisted miracle your batch were were to be, um, uh, you know, like a pit of pathogenic bacteria, um, it would be an unprecedented historical event because <laughs> it just never happened Um, You know, really, when you get the vegetables submerged, what dominates that environment every single time are lactic acid bacteria. And the thing is that they acidify the environment. So even if, you know... Uh, there had been some kind of incidental contamination that occurred to those vegetables. And, you know, they had cells of some bacteria that, that sometimes make people sick. Um, you know, the indigenous uh, um, uh, lactic acid bacteria will always dominate. And as they acidify the environment, they wipe out any kind of pathogenic bacteria. And this is, you know, what is so brilliant and so effective about acidification of food as a, as a safety strategy is none of these organisms that we periodically hear about and worry about um, can, can, can survive in an acidic environment. So, you know, acidification is just extremely um, um, effective. That's and, it. and I would encourage people to, to not worry. And this is precisely why I would always recommend fermented vegetables as a perfect starting point for a fermentation practice is just that, you know, people project all of their anxiety about bacteria onto um, the process of fermentation, even though, you know, fermentation has always been used as a strategy for food safety.
0: That's such a great reminder because even though I have been reading about how good it is to have healthy bacteria in our foods and in our gut and to have live foods, I've still been very afraid to eat my fermented foods. Um, One question is, because I did this, it's dated August 24th, 2016, and I'm wondering, is it too old to eat? Can fermented foods be too old if it smells okay?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's only two months old. I mean, in the scheme of things, in terms of fermentation, historically, it's still very young. Okay. Um, How you do you know, know when I, I mean, it's too old? It gets soft. It okay. gets, it gets like baby food. It gets soft and mushy. And there's nothing toxic about it okay. at that point.
0: That's good I mean, to you know. you could
1: totally eat it safely. Okay. But, but what happens is like the, you know, um am um, so, 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 um, what makes vegetables crispy and crunchy are pectins. In the short run, when you salt the vegetables, it 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 hardens the pectins and makes the vegetables crispier and crunchier. But then there's a class of enzymes that's always present in the vegetables that are collectively known as pectinase enzymes, and over time they can break down the pectins. And um, in hot weather, that happens a lot faster than in a cool environment. Um, in a low salt environment, it happens much faster than in a saltier environment. Um, but you know, eventually if it gets old enough, um, um, you know, it'll, uh, uh, it'll, it, it'll, it'll happen that way. So, I mean, that, that's usually what gets me to sort of throw away the last remains of a, of, of, of a big batch of, uh, of kraut or kimchi is when it starts to have the consistency of baby food and just okay. get really soft and mushy. So, but, but, but let me just reiterate, like it does not make it dangerous. That's Those are just know. sort of like aesthetic considerations in certain parts of the world. People like it better when it gets softer. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, um, you really you, you don't have to worry about, about the safety of okay, it.
0: Okay, great. Well, I mean, one question I had is what's the worst thing you've heard happening to someone from eating fermented food, someone who maybe didn't really know what they were doing? It sounds like there's, there hasn't really been anything that bad, maybe a little upset stomach.
1: Well, I mean, uh, you know, okay. if we're from all of fermented foods, I mean, so let's remember that salamis are fermented. Um, The word for uh, uh, sausage, salami is a fermented sausage. The word for sausage in Latin is botulus. And that might remind you of the name of a certain food poisoning toxin that people are terribly afraid of, and that's botulism. And the only reason why we know the word botulism is really because of canning, which is a technology that was invented 200 years ago. And that's what sort of propelled botulism into everyday awareness. And so, you know, we don't even know wh- why we're afraid of it, but, you know, we learned from our great great grandparents, um, you know, that you have to be, af- you have to worry about botulism because it was uh you know it was it was a, it was a significant concern in their time but hi- historically bo- you know botulism comes from botulus, which is sausages and it was something a, a rare disease associated with um um, um you know, with with salami so you know it's not that i could say that like nobody has ever been hurt from any fermented foods. It's in the realm of fermented vegetables that there's okay. just no case history um, of, anything um, that a, serious. of illness. And I, and I, and I, uh, well of, of really of any kind of illness. Okay. So I mean, and that, that's one of the reasons why I, I always encourage uh, uh, people to begin a fermentation practice with um, um, fermenting vegetables because there really is just no, no potential theoretical danger. Okay. Um, you can certainly Make salami safely. If you want, there's just like a little bit more, you know, information you have to have to understand the parameters for how to do it safely. Okay. Um, you know, I mean there 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 are there are possibilities. Hey, you know, with with fermented vegetables, I mean the worst outcomes that I have ever seen basically have to do with people failing to add at- with. My, I mean mostly myself, but I've seen other people do this also. Um, you know, failing to um um protect the fermenting vegetables from flies. And, you know, if you have flies landing on the surface and laying their eggs, you're going to have a really rude surprise when you go to harvest your sauerkraut, which is that you're going to have like, you know, little squirmy maggots crawling out of it. Um, But again, you know, this is something that is abundantly visible. It's not in it. It's not, you know, it might utterly disgust you and cause you to throw it away. um, But, you know, it's not going to be an invisible killer. Um, uh, So, you know, you That's just don't to need to hear. worry about it <laughs> and it's and it's very easy to protect these things from from flies i mean on a small scale i generally advocate doing this in a jar Mm-hmm. So, you know, as long as the jar is closed, there's no opportunity for flies to get in there. And then in a jar method, you just have to kind of off-gas it, like loosen the top to release carbon dioxide, um, you know, each day in the early days of, of the fermentation when it's producing a lot of carbon dioxide, when it's most vigorous. Um Uh, uh, You know, when I use an open vessel, which I I sometimes do larger batches and I use a cylindrical crock and I I find the largest plate that I can find that will fit inside the crock and set on the surface of the vegetables Um, and then a weight on top of that to bear down to keep the vegetables pushing down and forcing liquid up over the surface of the vegetables. But then finally, what I do is take a piece of an old sheet and just cover the whole thing with a finely woven cloth cloth to keep the flies out. Um, and, uh, and that works, um, uh, uh totally great. Okay. Um, so it's just, if you fail to think of that, if you just leave it open and flies land on it, like those are definitely the worst outcomes, okay. um, uh, that I've had. Um, you know, I've certainly had a few batches turned to mush. Um, I've certainly dealt with, um, surface growth. I mean, you know, you're getting the vegetables submerged to protect them from the flow of oxygen. Um, um, you know, in the presence of oxygen, there are spores of molds that, that can grow. Um, and so often, you know, the surface, if it's not protected from oxygen, will develop a little bit of a bloom, um, alternatively called scum. That's, uh, you know, different kinds of aerobic surface growths, including yeasts and or molds. Um, you know, generally people try to um, remove these as, uh, as 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 soon as they notice them. When I say remove them, I may just mean you know using your hands or a spoon, just sort of skim the top layer off and discard it. Don't worry about it. The surface growth that typically develops is totally harmless. It's either a sort of a beige wavy yeast layer called calm yeast, or else it might be a white mold, a sort of white hairy mold. Um, you know both of them are harmless just scrape them off and remove them um but please don't please don't imagine that I just said all mold is totally harmless. Sometimes people hear me say, just scrape the mold off the sauerkraut and discard it. And they think that I said all mold is harmless. Um, no, it's these sort of white molds that are typically that develop. And then, um, uh, you know, if you leave them and they mature, they they'll sporulate sort of gray or black, but in that monochromatic range, you're safe. You don't have to discard your, your vegetables. Um, I've never seen a bright color. Mold develop, but I've heard a couple of stories of people who failed to remove their white mold, and then other molds came in and succeeded them. If you ever see bright colored molds growing on foods—yellow molds, orange molds, red molds—just discard it. There are a lot of dangerous molds in the world, Um, but as long as they stay in that monochromatic range, you just don't have to worry about them. Skim them off as best you can. If little bits of it dissipate into the brine, don't freak out about it. This is, you know, this is normal. Everybody who's made sauerkraut for thousands of years has had to, you know, contend with, you know, this as just one aspect of it. We live in a biodiverse world, and, you know, we're we're getting the vegetables submerged to protect them, um, but the surface always represents, um, you know, this sort of, um, you know, biodiverse edge.
0: That is very helpful to hear. I, I've read that if you see mold growing just skim skim it off scoop it out and the rest is fine but i was still afraid so it's really yeah, helpful yeah. to hear um i so i have a batch of ginger and all the liquid okay. evaporated and is this bad well, should i throw I mean, it out
1: yeah i mean well i wouldn't i wouldn't throw it out what i would do is add a little bit more water like even though you're it's from august
0: I don't know when all the liquid evaporated. It's from August, is so. Just add water. Well, you
1: don't. You don't have any. You don't have any. I don't see mold. By the looks of it, you don't have any surface growth. So I would just add like you know a tablespoon of water. Just like a little bit of water is going to be enough to get the vegetables submerged. Okay. Um, So yeah, sure. I mean, if you get the sense that you know through evaporation you're losing some water, you just have to you know, kind of compensate for that and add a little bit of water back. Again, dechlorinated water.
0: Okay. Great. Great. Um, can you talk a bit of what's the difference between pickling and fermenting?
1: Um, sure. Pickling and fermenting, I would say are, you know, they're overlapping categories. So, um, you know, fermentation is the transformative action of microorganisms. Pickling is um, you know, anything preserved in an acidic medium. Many ferments, like I would say sauerkraut is a pickle. you know, you're you're relying on, um, you know, the transformation of microorganisms, the microorganisms digesting nutrients in the cabbage, but the result is that it produces lactic acid bacteria and enab- enables you to preserve the vegetables in an acidic medium. Um, of course, there are many ferments that are not pickles. I mean, you know, when you make wine, out of grapes or beer out of barley i wouldn't really describe those as as pickles um, there are many alkaline ferments. So, for instance, um, um, natto, the Japanese style of fermenting soybeans, that's al- actually an alkaline ferment. So there's nothing acidic. So there are lots of ferments outside of pickles, but many ferments are pickles, so sauerkraut, kimchi. Um, I would say like the sour pickles that I grew up with. Um, but if you walk into a supermarket and look at the pickle section, you know most of what you're going to find are, you know, vegetables that basically had a hot vinegar solution poured over them. And those are still pickles. And the vinegar is a product of fermentation. But, you know, pouring hot vinegar over vegetables does not result in a fermentation of the vegetables. It just results in preserving the vegetables under the acetic acid that's in the vinegar. Um, So in that case, it's acetic acid preserving the vegetables. In fermented (laughs) pickles, it would be lactic acid acid. So it's a very different flavor. Um, chemically, it's very different. But the result is both vegetables preserved in an acidic environment. So they both would sort of meet the the, the, the definition for, for pickles. And I mean, my general understanding is that vinegar pickling didn't become widespread until the middle of the 20th century, um, around the time that the process was developed for what we call distilled white vinegar, which is the vinegar that's cheaper than water. Um, But, um, you know, historically, most pickling methods involved fermentation and, you know, a harnessing of lactic acid bacteria, Uh, you know, and it's only in, you know, the last less than 100 years that, um, um, you know, pickling in vinegar has become a widespread phenomenon.
0: So when vegetables are preserved in vinegar, do you think it has it, it also has beneficial bacteria or d- can it even? Well, contain- I
1: mean, it's there. I mean, there do exist hybrid methods where you use a light vinegar solution cold over vegetables. So I don't want to say it's impossible, but the way all those commercial supermarket pickles are, it's a hot solution. So right. the heat kills Kills the bacteria, so no, they don't have bacteria. And furthermore, vitamin C is diminished by by, by um, heat. So the most specific kind of um, uh, you know nutrient that's only found in plants that people need in order to survive, like why sauerkraut is such an important survival food, is for vitamin C. And actually, you know, um, um, you know, pickling with hot vinegar diminishes vitamin C. So, you know, not only is it not probiotic, but the single most important nutrient is um, vastly diminished by the use of, 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 of heat. Um, so, I mean, I think that, um, you know, naturally fermented pickles are, you know, not only much more delicious, but I think that they're also much more nutritious. Um, what they aren't is as shelf stable, like the reason why, you know, a supermarket loves um um vinegar cucumber vinegar pickles more than fermented pickles is that vinegar pickles are a non um a uh, uh, perishable item they can just sit on a shelf at room temperature indefinitely um so it has great advantages for commerce but of course you know what's best for commerce is not necessarily um what is best for us
0: that's right well, what if you're making, you're fermenting at home and you're, you're not heating up the vinegar and you maybe want to add some for flavor, would it, I would imagine because there's no heat involved, it would kill less of the good bacteria?
1: Yeah, sure. And especially if you were using it in a very, um, um, you know, low concentration. Okay. Um, you know, then, I mean, the lower the concentration, the less of, uh, you know, a detrimental effect the vinegar would have on the, you know, bacteria living on the vegetables.
0: Okay. Um, great. And I was curious what your view is on probiotics because they're so popular, but do you feel like they're not necessary if you're incorporating fermented foods throughout your diet?
1: Well, I mean, I just think that from, I I think that, you know, as as long as you're seeking out like live culture products that haven't been heat processed after their fermentation, I mean, you know, I just think that, you know, fermented, uh, live culture fermented foods are probiotic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to, 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 to my mind, the major objective of probiotic therapy is biodiversity, and you know each probiotic capsule is is boasting of its you know billion or two billion or five billion you know cells that's contained in it, but usually it's one billion or two billion or five billion of the same cell, or maybe of two or three in your higher quality probiotics. Um, but you know any kind of a traditional fermented food is 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 is, is like a living embodiment of far you know, more extensive biodiversity. So you're basically taking, you know, the biodiversity of the cabbage, the biodiversity of the carrot, um, um, and, you know, and putting that into a jar, And, you know, certain of the strains will come into dominance, but it's coming into dominance in the context of a, you know, broad biodiverse community. So, you know, traditional fermented foods just, you know, have much greater biodiversity than, um, you know, specific, um, you know, capsules. And what's in the capsules are all, you know, proprietary strains of specific bacteria. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't take a probiotic capsule. I mean, I certainly don't sort of recommend that it's necessary for, you know, most people who are eating, you know, foods that are, uh, uh, bacteria rich. Um, on the other hand, I don't think anyone's hurting themselves with a probiotic. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an awfully expensive, uh, uh, thing. I mean, I'd, I'd just rather, you know, I'd rather invest my resources into, you know, good quality food, um, you know, than into little capsules. And I think that, you know, in, you know, like good quality live culture foods, um, you know, have probiotics that I would regard as superior to those that are generally available in capsule form.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you take any supplements?
1: Um, I take selenium, okay. um, which is a which is a mineral um, that um, uh, you know is actually depleted from from many soils in 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 the world. So that that's actually the only supplement that I take on a regular basis.
0: Okay. Um, I was I was quite touched in the beginning. I mean, there are so many parts of your revised version of Wild Fermentation that I want to highlight. Uh, I was reading Mm. bits of it on Amazon in the sneak peek section, but I'm going (laughs) to order it and actually highlight it. I can't wait to, to read it. But you start, even the first sentence of your preface, you write that this revised edition is a book I could not possibly have written when I first wrote Wild Fermentation 15 years ago, because writing this book changed my life. And I was just wondering if you could talk more about how it changed your life.
1: Sure. Um, I mean, you know, at the time when I wrote Wild Fermentation, I had been living at this like, you know, off the grid, uh, you know, community um, in rural Tennessee for uh, nearly 10 years. And I. Um, uh, you know, really, I mean, this, 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 the the book was an outgrowth of, um, you know, sort of my, my, my years at this community, like, you know, growing food and learning about gardening and, you know, cooking food and, you know, learning about cooking for people. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, less so the process of writing the book, but then publishing the book, let's say, got me out of the house and talking to people. <laughs> yeah, it certainly um, did, know, So yeah. rather than just tinkering in the garden and tinkering in the kitchen, you know, what began as a book tour for Wild Fermentation in the summer of 2003 just never quite stopped. And, um, you know, the, the thing about teaching is you learn. And so, you know, simply the opportunity to talk to, you know, thousands and thousands of people about fermentation, Um, you know, we live in a we live in a nation of immigrants. So I just got to hear so many stories from people about like, you know, foods of the old country or, um, you know, how they reconnected to their cultural roots through fermentation and food, you know, or, you know, people asking me um, technical questions about the problems that they were having with their ferment that forced me to delve into the, you know, technical literature and learn more about it in order to try to answer their questions. But, you know, my whole teaching career, which has evolved since Wild Fermentation came out, has been a learning curve. And so, you know, I've learned about many more different ferments, I've learned about, you know, some of the, you you know, problems that people in, encounter in, in these processes. Um, you know, I learned, I've learned variations, how people mix it up, you know, different unorthodox, um, uh, methods that, 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 people sometimes use. So, you know, it's just been an ongoing learning curve. And so over time I found myself more and more like referencing my book and then, um, you know, talking about, um, you know, things that, uh, uh, you know, I would do differently at, at, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I was always like correcting the book and that's what sort of convinced me that it was time for me to, um, um, you know, update it and write a better book.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you still feel like you have a lot to learn or do you feel like you have a really good under, you know, you've learned, you have a good command over fermentation
1: well, I mean what I've learned about fermentation is that it's it's really an infinite realm of 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 human activity. So sure, no, I've got lots of things I wanna learn. I mean, you know, I you know, I've I, I've mostly like steered clear of um um you know um um brewing beer or the you know, contemporary barley beer tradition and that's something that, you know, I'm really ready to 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 to, to delve into. Um I'm going to China this year. I can't wait to um, learn more about Chinese fermentation. Like, really, all of the, um, you know, China has such, you know, sort of incredibly elaborate fermentation traditions, varied fermentation traditions. Sauerkraut is believed to uh, have evolved from China and spread around around the world from there. The earliest evidence of winemaking is from China. Um, You know, and yet there's very, very, There's very little written in the English language about Chinese fermentation traditions, so I'm really excited to be able to learn more about about uh, Chinese fermentation traditions. I'm also about to make gochujang, which is this um, uh, uh, Korean fermented chili paste. Um, I finally found a recipe in English on a Korean-American blogger's website. I've, I've collected all the ingredients. The weather has changed. Um, so sometime this week, I'm going to be, um, you know, making up some gochujang uh, uh, to ferment. So, no, I mean, I, I, I feel like, you know, my, my learning curve continues. And, I mean, I, I feel very, you know, sort of confident about the fermentation concepts that, 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 that I do know. And, you know, when I read about a lot of new ferments, there is some, you know, for aspect to it because, you know, they don't, you know, the varied processes are um, often substantially similar. Um, But, um, but I'm definitely, um, uh, I'm I'm definitely always learning. And, um, you know, I do not see sort of an end to um, this topic in sight.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems like it's been, it's, it's an ancient, approach to preserving food. And, and um, it's been part of different cultures for centuries. And uh, I was just wondering how much of it has stayed sort of standard or static and how much of it has evolved with the times. But I, I was just getting the sense Yesterday, when I was reading more about this, that culturally, I, mean, I was talking to a friend when I was we were picking up our daughters at school yesterday, and she's Japanese from a small from a suburb outside of Tokyo, and she started talking about all these fermented foods in Japan that I hadn't even heard about, and she just she was raised eating a pretty Western diet. She said, I asked her growing up in Japan, what do you, what did you eat for breakfast? And she said, Well, my generation, we ate toast and jam. <laughs> but my father's generation, we had miso. He had miso soup and rice. And she now, as a mother, wants to introduce her children more to her culture. So she's been introducing Japanese foods, but it includes a number of fermented foods. So I realized this is a whole new world with a lot of depth and.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, Japanese cuisine has, you know, incredible fermentations. I mean, you know, there's miso and, and, and soy sauce. There's natto um, and an incredible uh, um, diversity of fermented vegetables, uh, sukemono. But, you know, I would say that Japanese cuisine, um, you know, ferments vegetables in more varied, um, you know, mediums. Than you know any other cuisine that I that that that, that I've seen, and I love um, you know I love Japanese pickles, and you know just the sheer um, um, diversity of it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I would say you know I mean J- Japan is you know one of you know many places around the world where uh, you know fermentation traditions are elaborate and varied and um you know are typically incorporated into people's uh, uh, meals on a daily basis and it's mm-hmm. not that people are mostly eating fermented foods it's just that you know part of the, you know some of the everyday foods are products of fermentation yeah. um, you know as as they are in 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 many many places
0: yeah well th- th- it's fascinating to hear about China Uh, that's uh, part of my ancestry and I had no idea (laughs) Um, so great great to hear my last question for you is um, I have many wishes for the world one that I've chosen to dedicate my time and resources towards is raising awareness on our toxic exposures from consumer choices I feel that more awareness can help the health of not just ourselves but also our planet and our children's future and I'm sure you also have many wishes for the world. And I was just wondering what, what one, um, what is one that comes immediately to mind?
1: Well, I mean, you know. I mean, all of my sort of, you know, work about promoting fermentation and raising awareness about fermentation, you know, I mean, my, 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 my interest is really, you know, less about fermentation specifically and more about, you know, wanting to encourage people to, you know, become more connected to their food and to not just be sort of, you know, passive consumers of products that are being marketed to us, um, um, you know, in, um, in in, in giant supermarkets, but rather to sort of you know become more connected to the process of how food is grown, have a garden, buy some of your food directly from farmers, um, you know get a sense of what what can be grown where you live and what the seasonality of that food would be, um, you know start to um, you know ask questions about how food is grown and using or not using what kinds of chemicals and um, and how food is produced and, tra- and how the raw products of agriculture are transformed into the delicacies that people love to eat um and that these are not you know sort of um um, mysterious processes that can only happen in faraway factories but that these are processes that you know our ancestors were fully engaged with and um you know and that we can become fully engaged with and that we can use as a way to become closer to the source of our food and how our food is produced so uh you know, my biggest wish is just for people to, you know, become more intimate with their food, become more connected to their food, start asking questions about their food um, and, you know, just to become more connected to their food. So, you know, I, that that's the context in which, um, you know, I see fermentation uh, as such an important part.
0: Well, I share that same wish, and I thank you so much for opening so many of us up to the microorganisms all around us, in us, and to help us connect more with what we're eating. It's such an honor.
1: Well, thank thank you so much for having me on your uh, on your podcast, and it's been a pleasure speaking with you.
0: work has been life-changing. I now place new importance on eating healthy bacteria and I think about it for my family's meals. Sandor and his work have also helped me feel more connected to and curious about ancient uses of fermented foods as well as of salt. I hope you also find the conversation inspiring and enlightening and that you feel more comfortable entering the world of fermentation. Thanks for tuning in. Join me on my journey for practical non-toxic living by subscribing to this podcast and following me online. Just visit my website, nontoxicliving.tips, for more. That's nontoxicliving.tips. Even better, buy your copy of my book, A to Z of Detoxing. It's the only book you'll want to help you reduce your toxic exposures. It's sold worldwide, including on Amazon. Until next time.